Chapter number forty nine of The Law and the Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. The Law and the Lady by Wilkie Collins. Chapter forty nine. Past and Future. I write from memory, unassisted by notes or diaries, and I have no distinct recollection of the length of our residence abroad. It certainly extended over a period of some months. Long after Eustace was strong enough to take the journey to London, the doctors persisted in keeping him in Paris. He had shown symptoms of weakness in one of his lungs, and his medical advisers, seeing that he prospered in the dry atmosphere of France, warned him to be careful of breathing too soon the moist air of his own country. Thus it happened that we were still in Paris when I received my next news from Gleninch. This time no letters passed on either side. To my surprise and delight, Benjamin quietly made his appearance one morning in our pretty French drawing-room. He was so preternaturally smart in his dress, and so incomprehensibly anxious, while my husband was in the way, to make us understand that his reasons for visiting Paris were holiday reasons only, that I at once suspected him of having crossed the channel in a double character, say, as tourist in search of pleasure, when third persons were present, as ambassador from Mr. Playmore, when he and I had the room to ourselves. Later in the day I contrived that we should be left together, and I soon found that my anticipations had not misled me. Benjamin had set out from Paris, at Mr. Playmore's express request, to consult with me as to the future and to enlighten me as to the past. He presented me with his credentials in the shape of a little note from the lawyer, there are some few points mr playmore wrote which the recovery of the letter does not seem to clear up i have done my best with mr benjamin's assistance to find the right explanation of these debatable matters and i have treated the subject for the sake of brevity in the form of questions and answers will you accept me as interpreter after the mistakes i made when you consulted me in edinburgh events i admit have proved that i was entirely wrong in trying to prevent you from returning to dexter and partially wrong in suspecting dexter of being directly instead of indirectly answerable for the first mrs eustace's death i frankly make my confession and leave you to tell mr benjamin whether you think my new catechism worthy of examination or not i thought his new catechism as he called it decidedly worthy of examination if you don't agree with this view and if you are dying to be done with me and my narrative pass on to the next chapter by all means benjamin produced the questions and answers and read them to me at my request in these terms questions suggested by the letter discovered at gleninch first group questions relating to the diary first question obtaining access to mr macallan's private journal was miserrimus dexter guided by any previous knowledge of its contents answer it is doubtful if he had any such knowledge the probabilities are that he noticed how carefully mr macallan secured his diary from observation that he inferred therefrom the existence of dangerous domestic secrets in the locked-up pages and that he speculated on using those secrets for his own purpose when he caused the false keys to be made second question to what motive are we to attribute miserrimus dexter's interference with the sheriff's officers on the day when they seized mr macallan's diary along with his other papers answer in replying to this question we must first do justice to dexter himself infamously as we now know him to have acted the man was not a downright fiend 
that he secretly hated mr macallan as his successful rival in the affections of the woman he loved and that he did all he could to induce the unhappy lady to desert her husband are in this case facts not to be denied on the other hand it is fairly to be doubted whether he were additionally capable of permitting the friend who trusted him to be tried for murder through his fault without making an effort to save the innocent man it had naturally never occurred to mr macallan being guiltless of his wife's death to destroy his diary and his letters in the fear that they might be used against him until the prompt and secret action of the fiscal took him by surprise the idea of his being charged with the murder of his wife was an idea which we know from his own statement had never even entered his mind but dexter must have looked at the matter from another point of view in his last wandering words spoken when his mind broke down he refers to the diary in these terms the diary will hang him i won't have him hanged if he could have found his opportunity of getting at it in time or if the sheriff's officers had not been too quick for him there can be no reasonable doubt that dexter would have himself destroyed the diary foreseeing the consequences of its production in court so strongly does he appear to have felt these considerations that he even resisted the officers in the execution of their duty his agitation when he sent for mr playmore to interfere was witnessed by that gentleman and it may not be amiss to add was genuine agitation beyond dispute questions of the second group relating to the wife's confession first question what prevented dexter from destroying the letter when he first discovered it under the dead woman's pillow answer the same motives which led him to resist the seizure of the diary and to give his evidence in the prisoner's favour at the trial induced him to preserve the letter until the verdict was known looking back once more at his last words as taken down by benjamin he may infer that if the verdict had been guilty he would not have hesitated to save the innocent husband by producing the wife's confession there are degrees in all wickedness dexter was wicked enough to suppress the letter which wounded his vanity by revealing him as an object for loathing and contempt but he was not wicked enough deliberately to let an innocent man perish on the scaffold he was capable of exposing the rival whom he hated to the infamy and torture of a public accusation of murder but in the event of an adverse verdict he shrank before the dire cruelty of letting him be hanged reflect in this connection on what he must have suffered villain as he was when he first read the wife's confession he had calculated on undermining her affection for her husband and whither had his calculations led him he had driven the woman whom he loved to the last dreadful refuge of death by suicide give these considerations their due weight and you will understand that some little redeeming virtue might show itself as the result even of this man's remorse second question what motive influenced miserrimus dexter's conduct when mrs valeria macallan informed him that she proposed reopening the inquiry into the poisoning at gleninch answer in all probability dexter's guilty fears suggested to him that he might have been watched on the morning when he secretly entered the chamber in which the first mrs eustace lay dead feeling no scruples himself to restrain him from listening at doors and looking through keyholes he would be all the more ready to suspect other people of the same practices 
with this dread in mind it would naturally occur to his mind that mrs valeria might meet with the person who had watched him and might hear all that the person had discovered unless he let her astray at the outset of her investigations her own jealous suspicion of mrs bowley offered him the chance of easily doing this and he was all the readier to profit by the chance being himself animated by the most hostile feeling toward that lady he knew her as the enemy who destroyed the domestic peace of the mistress of the house he loved the mistress of the house and he hated her enemy accordingly the preservation of his guilty secret and the persecution of mrs bowley there you have the greater and the lesser motive of his conduct in his relations with mrs eustace the second note by the writer of the narrative look back for a further illustration of this point of view to the scene at benjamin's house chapter thirty five where dexter in a moment of ungovernable agitation betrays his own secret to valeria benjamin laid down his notes and took off his spectacles we have not thought it necessary to go further than this he said is there any point you can think of that is still left unexplained i reflected there was no point of any importance left unexplained that i could remember but there was one little matter suggested by the recent allusions to mrs bowley which i wished if possible to have thoroughly cleared up have you and mr playmore ever spoken together on the subject of my husband's former attachment to mrs bowley i asked has mr playmore ever told you why your stars did not marry her after the trial i put that question to mr playmore myself said benjamin he answered it easily enough being your husband's confidential friend and adviser he was consulted when mr eustace wrote to mrs bowley after the trial and he repeated the substance of the letter at my request would you like to hear what i remember of it in my turn i owned that i should like to hear it what benjamin thereupon told me exactly coincided with what miserrimus dexter had told me as related in the thirteenth chapter of my narrative mrs bowley had been a witness of the public degradation of my husband that was enough in itself to prevent him from marrying her he broke off with her for the same reason which had led him to separate himself from me existence with a woman who knew that he had been tried for his life as a murderer was an existence which he had not resolution enough to face the two accounts agreed in every particular at last my jealous curiosity was pacified and benjamin was free to dismiss the past from further consideration and to approach the more critical and more interesting topic of the future his first inquiries related to eustace he asked if my husband had any suspicion of the proceedings which had taken place at gleninch i told him what had happened and how i had contrived to put off the inevitable disclosure for a time my old friend's face cleared up as he listened to me this will be good news for mr playmore he said our excellent friend the lawyer is sorely afraid that our discoveries may compromise your position with your husband on the one hand he is naturally anxious to spare mr eustace the distress which he must certainly feel if he read his first wife's confession on the other hand it's impossible in justice as mr playmore puts it to the unborn children of your marriage to suppress a document which vindicates the memory of their father from the aspersion that the scotch verdict might otherwise cast on it i listened attentively benjamin had touched on a trouble which was still secretly preying on my mind how does mr playmore propose to meet the difficulty i asked 
he can only meet it in one way benjamin replied he proposes to seal up the original manuscript of the letter and to add it to a plain statement of the circumstances under which it was discovered supported by your signed attestation and mine as witnesses to the fact this done he must leave it to you to take your husband into your confidence at your own time it will then be for mr eustace to decide whether he will open the enclosure or whether he will leave it with the seal unbroken as an heirloom to his children to be made public or not at their discretion when they are of an age to think for themselves do you consent to this my dear or would you prefer that mr playmore should see your husband and act for you in the matter i decided without hesitation to take the responsibility on myself where the question of guiding eustace's decision was concerned i considered my influence to be decidedly superior to the influence of mr blamore my choice met with benjamin's full approval he arranged to write to edinburgh and relieve the lawyer's anxieties by that day's post the one last thing now left to be settled related to our plans for returning to england the doctors were the authorities on this subject i promised to consult them about it at their next visit to eustace have you anything more to say to me benjamin inquired as he opened his writing-case i thought of miserrimus dexter and ariel and i inquired if he had heard any news of them lately my old friend sighed and warned me that i had touched on a painful subject the best thing that can happen to that unhappy man is likely to happen he said the one change in him is a change that threatens paralysis you may hear of his death before you get back to england and ariel i asked quite unaltered benjamin answered perfectly happy so long as she is with the master from all i can hear of her poor soul she doesn't reckon dexter among mortal beings she laughs at the idea of his dying and she waits patiently in the firm persuasion that he will recognize her again benjamin's news saddened and silenced me i left him to his letter End of chapter 49